1 Timothy chapter number 1, if you please take your Bibles and turn there. On April the 18th, 2000, I was sitting in my office at uh, Calvary Christian School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The phone rang, I picked it up, and it was a deacon of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach, California. He was my friend, Brother Bob, and I knew him, and he asked how I was doing. I'm doing fine. How are you all? And I did not know, but that conversation would lead and, uh, to a question. And I said, well, he said, he said, we need a pastor. I said, you know, we have been praying. Linda and I want the Lord to give you a good pastor. We'll be praying for that. Have you thought about this person, this person, this person? I gave him two or three names to think about. He goes, well, we really don't want your recommendation. We want you to consider being our pastor. I said, absolutely not. There's no way I could be somebody's pastor. I'm 32 years old. I preached seven times in my entire life in a church service. Three of the times I got sick and threw up. And I was just miserable. The other four times the audience got sick and threw up. <laughs> it was not a pretty thing. And I thought, oh, there's just no way. I can't imagine being a pastor. He said, well, we're fasting and praying. And every time we fast and pray, you're coming to my heart. You're coming to our heart as a, as a deacon board. We really think God may want you. He said, are you fasting and praying? I said, well, I'm praying. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. He said, well, it was Tuesday afternoon. He said, I want you to pray until Monday. And on Monday, I'll call you back. And that was a very difficult season in my life. I was like, what in the world is happening to me? I'd been teaching school for 11 years, and now I've got a church that needs a pastor, and they're asking me to consider doing that. Fast forward, the Lord allowed me to become that pastor on May the 7th, 2000. And then I finished the school year out, and on June the 9th, I assumed my position at First Baptist Church of Long Beach at 32 years old, pastoring a church. But as soon as I got off the phone, I remember right where I was sitting, I know where Linda was, when I finished church on a Sunday night, May 7th, and they were two hours ahead of us, or you know, two hours behind us, and it was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 o'clock at night, and, and um, they called me and said, Pastor, we just had a vote. Didn't call me Pastor, just said, Brother John, we just had a vote, and 97% of our people want to, you to be our pastor, and we want to know if you will say yes. And I remember saying, I, I think that's what God wants me to do, so I, I'll try it. And, and uh, they were happy, and, and I was terrified. But I remember hanging up the phone, and Linda and I prayed, and then I started thinking, what do pastors do? I've always had good pastors. I just never thought one time, I don't think I thought one time I would ever be a pastor. But I thought, boy, what do I need to know? And the Lord directed my attention to three books of the Bible that are called the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote, we think, at least 13 uh, books of the Bible. These are three of the 13. But these three were not written to churches. They were written to two individuals, Timothy and Titus. That night, I determined I would just start reading these books of the Bible. And I don't know them very well, but I didn't try to memorize them. I would just read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus every week. And I did that for the first several years that I was a pastor. And just would read them and try to figure out what God wanted out of a pastor. Especially a young man, because Timothy was young, and I'm not young anymore, but I used to be young. 
And I thought, I need to, I need to understand, what is it, Pastor? And I, as I look in chapter 3 of uh, 1 Timothy, verse 15, Paul tells him why he wrote this book. Let's look at it real quickly. This is the... Um, this is the theme of the whole book, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and verse number 15. Verse 14 says, These things write I unto you, unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. So he says, I'm writing this stuff into to you, and I hope to come to you shortly. At the time, he is in house arrest in Rome. He wrote several books of the Bible while he was being guarded by, that, uh, by the guards there in his own hired house receiving guests. That's where he wrote the book of Philippians and probably Colossians and Galatians, Ephesians, and probably um, the book of 1 Timothy as well. So he is writing, he says, look, I, I'm going to write this to you because I'm hoping I'm going to get out of this mess and get to go see you where you are shortly. But he says in verse 15, here's why I wrote it. Can you read it with me? Everyone out loud together. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He said, but if I don't get to you soon, if I tarry long, it takes me a while to get to where you are, Timothy. He said, I, I want to help you know how to behave yourself. As a leader, a young leader in the house of God, which is the church of God, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. One of the most important things in our, in Christianity, is the local church. Every one of us who got saved, if you're saved tonight, you got saved directly or indirectly because of a local church. And they did its job. It protected and put out the truth. You say, well, Pastor, I got saved in the bus ministry. It was done by a church. I read a track. It was purchased by church people. Wherever it is you got saved, a junior church, a vacation Bible school, back to Bible, backyard Bible club, whatever, almost every single one of those are, are sponsored by church. I said, well, you know, I was listening to Focus on the Family. I think probably people who sponsor Focus on the Family go to church. That's why they want to do that. They want to do those things. And wherever it is that God brought you, He brought you either directly or indirectly because of a local church. But learning to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, is a, is a pillar of ground of truth, it's very important. Look at the next verse, verse 16. It speaks about a person. You tell me who he is. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up to glory. Who in the world is that? Jesus. And the church is about Jesus, and it's the pillar and ground of truth, and Paul is writing Timothy, his young protege. Now, Timothy and Titus are two very polar opposite people and personality. Timothy, they both have Greek dads. They both have dads that most likely were not Christians, or at least they were Greek. Timothy had a godly mother named Eunice, and a godly grandmother. And uh, they loved him. They, 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 they probably taught him the Bible. While his mother and his grandmother were teaching him Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, his dad was teaching Socrates, Plato, and Greek myths. While he was talking about this kind of thing, he was, he was very divided, probably. 
But one day, Paul rolls into his hometown, which is, is, it is Lystra. And it's in Lystra that he begins to share the gospel with people. And I think that uh, his mom and his grandma and him got saved. They're one of the first believers in that region. And from there, uh, Paul is, is stoned and left for dead outside of a city. Very possible that at that time, Timothy's a young teenager. He may have leaned over what he thought was the dead body of Apostle Paul after his stoning. He may have pulled off some of the rocks off of him. And they thought he was dead. This may have been the time that Paul went up and in, 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 went to, into the third heaven or the end of the body or out of the body. He could not tell. God knows. But somewhere in that thing, uh, Timothy was his hometown. He probably saw that, observed that. And Paul went on to his missionary journey. He was miraculously healed by God. He went over to Derby next and then went to make uh, soul winning efforts there. Came back through to Lystra later, discipled um, that, that gr young group of people and then went back to Jerusalem. On his second missionary journey, he has a new partner now, Silas. And early in their missionary journey, they stop by Lystra again. And that teenage boy has a good testimony of all the brethren, not just in his church, but the churches that got together, they all admired Timothy's testimony. And Paul says, Timothy, I got, uh, I got Silas here, but I'd like, like for you to go with me. And he began to go with him. Somewhere in the process, he was, uh, he was used of God to help. And I think he just wanted to help Apostle Paul. He didn't want to be in charge of anything. We think if you look at the spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12 of prophecy and of ministry and of giving and ruling and, and mercy and exhortation and all those things, I think Timothy's a good example of a servant, a minister. He just wanted to help. He didn't want to make a good thing, he just want to make a good thing better. Just find a place for help. But here we find that Apostle Paul is in jail again, and he writes to him, and, and Timothy travels with him. Timothy will travel, he traveled with him from the third missionary journey with Trophimus and Sopater and Segundus and all the other men that were there in that group to, to the Passover where, he got, where Paul got arrested and taken into custody. And uh, he, he now is out in the mission work. And Paul tells him, I want you to stay at Ephesus that you charge some that teach no other doctrine. So Paul doesn't, Paul, Timothy does not want to stay in Ephesus. He doesn't want to be in charge of anything, in my opinion. Now, Titus, on the other hand, <laughs> Titus is a bull in a china closet. China, Titus is the, he's the missionary guru. He likes a fight. He says, I need you to stay on the island of Crete and set things in order that are lacking. And so Titus was the guy, whenever he had to go to Corinth and get, the, get those guys reminded they're supposed to be a part of the missions program and, and helping get that together, he didn't send Timothy by himself. He sent Titus because Titus was a hard charger. When it came time to be circumcised in order to, to kind of reduce the problem with the Jewish, um, the Jewish hierarchy that would maybe criticize uh, Paul, he asked T Timothy, let's circumcise you, and Timothy did it. When he asked Titus to do it, he goes, I ain't doing that. I don't have to do that. He was much stronger. And he had different ministries. It looks like to me that Timothy is probably a little fearful. You'll read 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you'll see that Paul says, Stir up the gift of God that is in thee. 
he tells him, God does not give you the spirit of, but of power and of love and a sound mind. But there's no doubt about it. Timothy is very special to the Apostle Paul. At the end of his life, you can read about it in 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Whenever he says uh, at the end of his life, he told him in chapter 1, stay at Ephesus. Keep the doctrine sound. By the way, doctrine determines destiny. Say it with me if you would please. Doctrine determines he said, you stay at Ephesus and you keep the doctrine sound. By the way, isn't it interesting that a hundred years, just about after Christ goes back to heaven, not quite, but John's on the island of Patmos and he writes to the seven churches of Asia, mind I guess which one of them is mentioned? Ephesus. They had kept their doctrine right and even commended, the Lord Jesus commended them and said, hey, you guys have worked hard, you got good doctrine, but you left your first love. And uh, doctrine was something they had stayed with, and probably in part because Paul knew that Timothy needed to be there. But in this passage of Scripture, of course, there's numbers of things we could take, and I, I would enjoy going verse by verse with it, but we're not going to do that. We do go over this in the Bible Institute on Tuesday nights, and, and we do the First Timothy Principles, and we've done it at the college. Most college young people could tell you the theme of each of those five, six chapters there in First Timothy. But I wanted just to share with you a little bit about the purpose of the book, and then we'll walk our way through it. Look at the outline, if you would, please. Number one, the instructions to the church. The first part of 1 Timothy is instructions to the church. Chapter 1 is keep sound teaching. The word sound in your Bible is it comes from the word hygiene. And that means keep it clean. Keep your doctrine clean. Don't pervert it. Don't defile it. Don't change it. Uh, keep it clean. Keep it simple. And keep it what the Bible says. Just, just don't, don't get squirrely in your doctrine. Because doctrine determines destiny. And he told him, I want you to stay there in Ephesus, that so you charge some. Let's look at that first part in chapter 1, verse number 3. By the way, it's interesting, in verse number 2 of chapter 1, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Kind of an interesting thing. When Paul writes a, a book, he always says, grace and peace. There are three books that he says, grace, mercy, and peace. Can you guess which ones those are? The pastoral epistles. He said he adds that third, that third category. So you grace, mercy, and peace be yours. Why? Because pastors need a lot of mercy. At least mercy extended to them, probably. Yeah. And I think, too, you think about Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what the Lord require thee, but to do justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. It's interesting, the pastoral epistles, he includes that third attribute in his greeting, not found in any of the other uh, books that, that Apostle Paul wrote. But verse number 3, chapter 1, the Bible says this, And I besought thee. The word besought in your Bible means I pleaded with you. I begged you, I really was strong with you, to abide still at Ephesus. Now, Paul had invested three years of his life teaching at the, at the school of Tyrannus. It was, he had a, heavily invested there. When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. He tells them what to avoid. Verse number 5, a classic verse. Read it. If you don't have it underlined in your Bible, I'd underline it. Let's read it aloud together. Now, the end of the commandment is... 
of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned. He tells, he tells him, look, the end of the commandment, that means like when the rubber meets the road, when it's all said and done, whenever the purpose of the Bible is so that you'll have three things inside of you, Timothy and John Wilkerson and you. You'll have charity, which is what? Love out of a pure heart. Loving God, loving others out of a pure heart. Number two, you have a conscience that is what? What does it say? A good conscience. That means nothing between you and God, nothing between you and another. When you close your eyes at night and go to sleep, you've got a clean conscience. Nothing, you don't, have, you, don't have, you don't have an offense with the Lord, and you have no offense with other people. He said, if you can keep love out of a pure heart, you keep a good conscience, and then you have a faith that is unfeigned. That means your faith is, is without being fake. It's, it's genuine. He said, that really, if you, can, if you can tackle those three things, if you only have one verse of the Bible to, 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 to live, 1 Timothy 1.5 would not be a bad verse. It's really the whole Bible in one little verse. Keeping my heart clean and love, my conscience clean and good, and my faith is acted out in genuine sincerity. It's a really beautiful thing. But I want you to notice two words in the book of 1 Timothy. And if you're in the habit of underlying, underlying things in your Bible, I want you to see these words. And I want you to, I want you to see the, the, the word swerved. Swerved. With some having swerved. Do you see that? Where is that in, the, in that first chapter? Do you see it? What verse do you see it in? Verse number 6. From which some having swerved. Where have they swerved? They've swerved in doctrine. Underline that. And then I want you to look at the last word of verse number 19. He says, Holding faith in a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith, have made what? Shipwreck. Chapter 1 is about sound teaching, sound doctrine. And a swerve always precedes a shipwreck. Keeping your doctrine clean and pure was one of God's priorities for this young man. It's important to keep your doctrine pure. I, it's important for me. It's important for you. I don't think we're ever, we're ever out of the woods in this area. We can all get a little squirrely from time to time. We can get caught up in a blog or caught up in teaching or caught up in this thing or that thing. And it can mess us up. And he says, number one, to the church, keep your doctrine sound. There are some churches in, in our community and around the world, they still have church as a name on their sign, but you couldn't get saved there if you wanted to. They've long past, years ago, lost their doctrinal edge. They, they, they swerved. Somebody swerved. Someone got in there and swerved, and now it's a shipwreck. The people are shipwrecked. The, the purpose is shipwreck, everything's a mess. And of course, he, he names out two people, Alexander and Hymenius. These guys have been a part of this, of this process, and they shipwreck other lives because of doctrinal impurity. Number two, chapter two is about prayer. From start to finish, it speaks about prayer. And the church needs to be a place of prayer. Look, if you would please, at verse number one. Read it with me, if you would, please. Are you ready? I exhort, therefore, that first of all... Prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men. And he says, I, I want to be, make prayer a priority. And we have an access in prayer, verse number 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man. He's our access to prayer. And by the way, one of the reasons we pray, if you would please look at verse number 4, Who will have all men to be 
to come to knowledge of truth. You say, Pastor, how come you always ask us if we know someone's saved? Because that's one of the purposes of prayer. You know why you pray for government leaders? Because government can complicate soul winning. <laughs> they can complicate church ministry. He said, you pray that you can live out your faith in peace, and prayer is key. The answer to the missionary problem is prayer. It always has been, always will be. When Jesus said he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion, he said, pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth. Listen, we ought to pray that our kids surrender to the Lord. We ought to pray that, that, our, that our young people surrender. We ought to pray that our middle-aged young people surrender. We ought to pray that God will continue to call people and enable them and prepare them. It's an important thing. And I think about Jesus. Of all the things that Jesus did, He came to the earth for one main reason, to give His life a ransom for many, to seek and to save that which was lost. The second thing He came to do is get between the ears of 12 men. If he did not, if the God man did not spend three and a half years training them and it didn't go real good, he was so frustrated with them. You can't read the Gospels without thinking, really? Are you kidding me? You still don't? I've been with you this long and you still don't know that me and the Father are one? Come on. John chapter 6, whenever he fed the multitudes and they kept following him around and he preached to them the next day and he was telling them biblical things and said, when's sufficient chips? We want to hear the bread from heaven. I'm like the bread yesterday. That was really good. Can we have another one? All you can eat? And they kept on, they kept on baiting him. And he said, I'm the bread of the life. And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. But how about the fish and chips again? And finally, he tells them, unless you eat my, my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And then, of course, uh, they said, you're getting sick. You're a weirdo. We're out of here. And all of them left. Many of the disciples departed. They departed and didn't walk with him anymore. And then he looks at the disciples. He says, you guys going to go too? And what did Peter say? To whom shall we go? For only you have the what? Words of eternal life. Only you have it. And I'm sure that he probably looked to the Father and said, Finally, <laughs> finally these clowns are coming around. Somebody's finally got it after this time. And the truth of the matter is, this is one of the things that we need to do. We need to pray for our, uh, our, our, our converts. I want you to look real quickly, and this is not planned, but let's just hold our place here and go to Romans chapter number 12. Would you please? Romans 12. We speak about the spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, and uh, in verse number 6, prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhorting. Exhorting is a gift that means people, that they just work with others. They, they help others. The exhorters in our church are the best disciplers. And some of you are very gifted at that. You're a teachers. Normally our teachers, not all of them, but many of our teachers are exhorted. And Paul is an example of an exhorter in the Bible. He would say stuff like this, till Christ be formed in you. He said, the more I give, the more I love, the less I be. Oh, I don't care though. None of these things move me. I'm going to keep on doing this. I'm going to keep on doing it. He was very determined to help people. I appreciate my teacher. I had a teacher named Miss Sarah Hall when I was in high school. I aggravated the fire out of that girl. But she just kept, she says, you're going to get this, John. You're going to get I said, I really don't want to get it. <laughs> Theorems, proofs, just, just take it for what they say. Don't, just, just make them all given. How about that? 
No, she goes, John, you got to get this. You got to get this. You're going to do it. You just sit right here. I'll see you at 3.30. I said, I really want to do something else at 3.30. No, you're going to come back in here, John. You're going to get it. We're going to help you with it. Oh, I was so miserable. But she kept working with me. And I am so glad that she did. And so appreciate that. Well, what do exhorters need? People that help other people grow. Look, if you would, please. Here's the verse of Scripture that is given to the exhorter. And would you look at verse number 12? He said, if you're an exhorter, rejoicing in what? Hope. Everybody who's helping people say, no, I see gold glittering there. You're going to make it. Patient in what? Boy, when you're working with people, it's sometimes one step forward, three steps back. And it's just the trials. Like, are you kidding me? Patient, continuing, don't quit. And then once you look at the last one, what's it say? Continuing instant, how? Yeah. He said, boy, people that work with people have to pray. Prayer is an essential part of the local church. Many of you know after, after our COVID went on in Jan on July 1, we came back together. And that, in that time we were not meeting, I began thinking, what are the elements that would most glorify God? And since that time, we have had prayer time in almost every service. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And one of the reasons to do that is because I believe that he said, first of all, that prayer, it ought to be a priority. And prayer is, is an act of faith and it's challenging for me, it's challenging for you. I was talking about to the Lord today about that. I said, Lord, please, I need to increase my prayer. I need to increase dependence upon you. I want to be poor in spirit. I want to be letting you uh, be dependent upon you, not on me. And we need that. And prayer causes us to do that. It humbles us, shows our faith. He said, make prayer for the church. Keep your doctrine pure. Keep prayer a priority. Number three, he says, I, I want to talk about leadership. And I also would say spiritual reproduction. He says, look, here's the guys. You've got to, to have a church that's going to honor the Lord. You've got to have leaders. You've got to have leaders. You've got to have men who are going to be pastors. In this room, there are some of our men who will one day pastor churches outside of our ministry. That's just going to happen. And it's healthy. It's right. It's painful in this lifetime to have anybody leave. I was talking to a man today, and we're praying about something that may be coming up in their, in their future. That's fine. And usually, as you grow in a church, there are people that can do what they can do. And God wants some people to stay in the same church for a lifetime. There's no doubt about that. But God's work is always fluid. And Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, you have got to find men who could be good pastors. And then you've got to find men and women who can help their pastors. Brother Clarence Sexton says there's two positions open in, in Christianity. One is to pastor a church for God. The other is to help your pastor pastor that church for God. You know what, uh, you know what nursery workers do? They help Pastor Wilkerson pastor the church. You know what ushers do? They help Pastor Wilkerson. They're pastors and there's those who help their pastor. So he said, now Timothy, when you win people to Christ and you disciple people, from those disciples, there are going to be pastors. Now they need to be blameless. Husband of one wife. They need to be diligent, given hospitality. They can't be people who are eager to get in a fight. Not strikers. Not brawlers. He said they're going to need to know how to take care of their own, their own family, their own wife, and their own children, rule their own house. If they can't rule their own house, they can't rule the church of God. He said they can't be a real novice. They can't be a new. Because if they're really, if you put them in too fast, they'll be lifted up with pride and they'll come into the condemnation of the devil. They have to have a good testimony among the community. A people that are without the church. 
Not just have a good testimony in church. Do they pay their bills? Do they take care? Do they have a good testimony in the neighborhood? Are they, are they, are they favored in the neighborhood? Are there people the neighbors can't stand them? Because they don't, they don't take care of their, their responsibilities or they're not gracious, not kind. Either these are the qualifications. So Timothy, when you're out soul winning and you're discipling people from your disciples, some are going to surface and you, and you know it's going to with a desire. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 3. Read it with me out loud. Are you ready? Verse 1 of chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man, he desireth a good word. He said, look, it's going to start with a desire. You're going to get some men, and I'm going to put inside of them an itch to lead with me as a bishop. A bishop is an overseer. Every pastor has three pieces of the pie he has to work on continually. Preaching the Word of God, overseeing the programs of the ministry, and pastoring the people. Say, Pastor, what does your day entail? Preaching, pastoring, and organizing. Programs, pastoring, and preaching. That's, that's, their, that's their job. But they're one of the things, he said, if a man desired the office of a bishop, an organizer, an overseer for the house of God, it's a good work, it's a desired work, it's hard work, it's rewarded work. But it's going to start with desire. I'm going to put some desire inside those men. And then I'm going to put some deacons. Some men, there are two offices in the local church, and that is men and their wives. There's no instruction for the pastor's wife in particular here. And, but there is for the deacon's wife specifically. He said, for the deacons, these are people that are going to help their pastors in the church. They're going to carry the load and do things to help them. And their wives, here's their qualifications. So as you're discipling people, people are going to either be pastors or they're going to help their pastors. That's what deacons do. We have 90 deacons in our church. And my goodness, I'm so thankful for every one of them and their precious wives. None of us are perfect, but I love serving Christ with them. But the truth of the matter is, even if you're not a deacon, you should, you should say, God, help me be qualified to be a deacon. Even if I'm not the deacon's wife, may we be qualified to be that? And by the way, look in chapter 3. You'll see the qualifications there. There. Let's look at the next one here real quickly. I need to hasten. Instructions for the church. The, ne the next section, number 2, is instructions for the Christian. I'll just give you the words there. But spiritual discernment and, and example. Chapter 4 is about being a good example. Would you look at please with me at chapter 4, verse number 12. Verse 11 says, These things command and teach. Verse 12, read it with me, everyone together. Let no man despise thy, but be thou an example of the believers in, 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 in. And those are the words at the bottom, those key words. You can see them. He said, I want you to be a good example in those ways. Chapter 5 is spiritual advice for relationships. Chapter 5 revolves around two concepts, relationships and responsibilities. Being a good, responsible person with the relationship God's give you. He'll say, you treat the older men in the church, Timothy, like you would your dad. You treat the older women like you would your mom. You treat the younger men like you would your brother, the younger ladies like you would your sister with all purity. You treat the widows like and with respect. And you challenge people in their relationships if they have aging mothers and fathers to take responsibility, practice piety first at home, care for them. To your elders or to your spiritual leaders, he said, don't muzzle the ox that grinds out the corn. Take care of your pastors and your leaders, spiritual leaders. Give them double honor. Don't let finances be their bother. 
They got enough things to do without letting them have to worry about how they're going to make ends meet. He said, honor them, especially those that rule well and, and are, are good in teaching and in, and, in, and in administrating the work of the Lord. If they work hard, reward them. And then he says, against an elder, against a leader, don't receive an accusation. Unless it be in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That means if someone comes to you about a spiritual leader and says, Hey, I saw him and her. If you're by yourself with that person, you should stop them in their tracks and say, You know what? This is not a quorum. There's a problem here. You're talking to me. I cannot fix the problem. We need to get two other people here in the mouth of two. If you've got an accusation, you better be really serious about that. And we've got to get two, two, three, two or three people that can do something about it to listen to this. Don't come and tell me by myself. He said, if it's serious, you better, be, you better be really serious. And you better be willing to open your mouth in front of two other witnesses. And if a pastor or a spiritual leader sins, they have to be rebuked before all. That others will also fear. And they'll receive and say, you know what, I, I don't want to mess up like that. It's something that keeps us in check. And then he says, look, you've got to constantly monitor your relationships. He says, some men, they sin, you know it from the beginning. Other men sin, they come after. Some people do pretty good, they start off fine, and then they start fizzing out. He said, then you have to understand, you love them, but you can't walk together. Because if you're going to walk together, you must be agreed. You've got to be on the same page. With the scriptures. Some people change. Some people, you know, right away, you say, you know what, I can't walk with them now. And by the way, you have to be careful who you fellowship with. It's not unkindness. It's just wisdom. He that walketh with wise men shall be. A companion of fools shall be. Okay, you're going to decide how you're going to end things based upon that. And then the last thing is spiritual attitude toward finances. All chapter 6 is about financial management. And then lessons to remember. Number one, knowledge. Learn to know the Word of God. In 2 Timothy, you'll say, study to show thyself approved to who? God. Study the Scriptures. Be a man, a man that's a student of the Scriptures. Number two, wisdom. Learning to live a godly life. The key words are all found in chapter 4, verse number 12.